if you understand the purpose and what you're driving for and you really believe in that, it makes it easier to, I think, combat burnout and some of the, the doldrums that are, especially with the pandemic when everything was shut down. So we were really trying to provide that for our people, but it also reinforced for me the importance of having an individual purpose and knowing what your purpose is in your life in this world and making sure that aligns with what you're doing at work every day. Hi, I'm Belden Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist, the podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. I'm very pleased to welcome Alison Watson, CEO of Woodard & Curran. In this episode, Alison shares with us their journey to articulate their purpose and then use that to develop a strategy that responds to the deep uncertainty businesses are now facing. She describes the inclusive approach they took to get understanding and buy-in, as well as some of the challenges in this approach. She also describes the way they embedded the strategy into the organization, which required a few unexpected changes. Join me for this informative and inspiring episode. Well, Alison, welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. Um, you're the Chief Executive Officer of Woodard & Curran. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about yourself and about Woodard & Curran and what it does. Sure. Um, I am by training a chemical engineer, but I have spent a lot of time fairly removed from chemical engineering working in the water space. And Woodard & Curran is an integrated science, engineering, design, build, construction and operations firm focused on water and the environment for public and private sector clients throughout the United States. Mm -hmm. Before we get into your purpose, just if you can, give me a sense of sort of the size, number of people, geographic coverage, anything like that, just to sort of get a handle of what kind of organization it is and what it does. Sure, absolutely. We have about 1,200 employees and we have about 27 offices across the U.S., we're only based in the United States right now, but we do work on international projects for some of our large private clients. And we also operate more than 50 water and wastewater treatment facilities across the U.S. So really across the United States, both in offices as well as right out working in plants. Right. So when you say you operate them, it's your employees kind of actually operate the thing. That's exactly right. Yes. So when communities are having challenges, either staffing the plants or you know, implementing the upgrades that they need to implement in order to meet regulatory requirements for a variety of reasons, communities will choose to outsource the operations of some of their facilities. And so we'll come in and do that. And usually we'll come in and hire the staff that they have as ordered and current employees and bring in additional staff and expertise to help the communities get the plants up and running and operating how they should. Right. Does that tend to be more for the sort of publicly owned operations or is it a mix of both public and private? It's a mix of public and private. Our larger operations are generally public. We actually even yeah. operate an entire department of public works um, for one community. Really? <laughs> yeah. So it's our people who are out hanging decorations around the holidays and, and doing all of those things that a DPW would do. Right. Yeah, yeah. So generally, our larger operations are public, but we do this a lot for private sector clients as well. 
Um, where we focus on water and the environment, some large private organizations, that's really not their core service. It's not their focus. So for them, it's more convenient to have uh, a contractor do that for them. And what's sort of the mix in that 1,200 people between folks who are in a plant and who are doing more kind of office-y, engineering-y kind of things? About a quarter of our staff are operating facilities. Okay. And then the remainder are corporate services who are helping to keep everything running, as well as our science and engineering and design build folks. Great. And so what would you say Wood and Curran's purpose is? Our purpose is, um, and we've articulated it, we went through a process to do that. Mm -hmm. Our purpose is clean water, safe environment, healthy communities, and happy people. Mm -hmm. What was the process you went through? How did you go about coming to those words? The company is more than 40 years old, and we've had a well-defined and articulated mission statement for many, many years. And we've used that in decision-making. We actually do come back to our mission statement. We've only changed two words of our mission statement in our history. And so we were looking at entering a new strategic planning effort. And not having a purpose was a bit of a gap. So while we do absolutely use our mission statement and we hold that very dear, I felt it was really important to have our purpose articulated before we got into our strategic planning effort. We felt we had a purpose, that there was a purpose inherent in everything that we were doing and we just hadn't written it down. So this was really not an invention or a coming up with a purpose as much as trying to put words to the purpose we felt was inherent in everything that we did already. So we really wanted to hear from our people. And we undertook about a six-month effort, starting with focus groups from every level of the organization, every nook and cranny, every office, every department in focus groups to talk about what people are most proud of about the work that we do what people admire about the company. And at the end of the day, if we're successful in our mission and we're doing good things, what that looks like in the world. And the goal was really to have this be an external focused purpose um, that was idealistic and enduring. And then with help from our marketing team to put some nice words to it, um, we developed our purpose of clean water, safe environment, healthy communities, and happy people. And you say that took six months. Was most of that just the focus groups or was there any other sort of key activities that were going on in that? We started with focus groups because not everybody could participate in focus groups and we wanted everybody to have an opportunity. We did surveys where we shortlisted phrases and had people talk about which phrases resonated most and got that down to kind of a short list of concepts. And then use that to develop the words around it. So the bulk of the time was the focus groups, but then we did some internal surveying as well, just to make sure that everybody's voice could be heard. Right. You said you use your marketing people to kind of work on the words a bit, including them. Was it entirely internally driven or did you reach outside for external support of any sort? This process was internal, and most of it was actually done by our HR team. So all of the focus groups and all of the facilitation, and it was really the final steps once we had the concepts where our marketing team got involved to put words to them. So very much, as you sort of said, people-driven, driven by what your employees were seeing and feeling. That's exactly right. Yes. We didn't want to come up with a purpose just for the sake of having one. We wanted to articulate what we believed our purpose to be already. 
Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you said you felt that as you were getting ready to go into a bit of work on your strategy, that that was missing. How then did you go into the strategy work and how did the purpose play into all of that? It's a great question. Um, when we embarked on the strategy work, we actually did it during COVID. So we did our strategic plan in um, 2021. So a lot of people questioned whether that was the right time to develop a strategy because there was so much uncertainty. And that's partly why I felt that having that purpose articulated was so critical um, because that allowed us to put a bit of a stake in the ground around, you know, what we're trying to accomplish. And then the approach we took in developing our strategy or really trying to develop a new strategic plan was to recognize all of the global uncertainty and think about what could possibly result from all of these different trends and forces that we were seeing. And then in the context of our purpose, try to think about under any circumstance, under a very positive outcome or a very negative outcome, what are those things that we should be doing to further our purpose in the face of uncertainty? So it really provided that North Star as we were thinking about what we should be focusing on in the context of uncertainty. If you can recall, can you give an example or two of some of the sorts of things that you debated and thought about and said, well, no, actually, in the face of this uncertainty, here's something we definitely ought to be doing. We started with, I think, 50 different trends and forces. So we were very broad in what we were thinking about. We, we talked about everything from, you know, the trends around smart building materials to changing demographics to out migration and parts of the United States to federal funding, pretty broad range of trends and forces. And we prioritized those trends and forces based on how prepared we felt we were for them and what we felt the impact could be to us to shortlist a bit. And then um, once we had, I think it was 12 of those shortlisted trends and forces, we went into scenario planning and tried really to think about a bad day or a bad future. Uh, or really, actually, we did two negative futures, um, one very positive potential future. And then one that was, if we had to guess, if we pulled out our crystal ball, with what we'd learned about trends and forces, what we thought that might look like. And then in the context of our purpose, try to pull each of those apart independently to say, all right, if this were to happen, what should we be focusing on in order to achieve this you know, idealistic outcome? And then we looked across all of these different scenarios for commonalities and chose those commonalities as areas to focus. Mm -hmm. And where'd you come up with the list of 50 or so, you know, kind of trends and forces? Because I can imagine, you know, that could be 500. <laughs> yes. So for this process, we did work with an external consultant. We started out with brainstorming with our board about what are they seeing? What are they hearing that they want to make sure we're thinking about? We then broadened that brainstorming with our senior leadership, as well as other folks from different aspects of the business. And then we worked with a consultant to expand that list even further. So if there were areas that we might be missing that just weren't on our radar screen to make sure that they were bringing those in and adding some factual basis to it. So we may have heard, well, it seems like fill in the end of that sentence. So then there's an effort to add some statistics and data to that. So we would have a sense for is the trend real and what is it actually looking like? So how long did that process take? You know, how did it come together in the end? We gave ourselves um, a year to do that. It actually was 
I would say less than a year. We did it over the course of a year, but the first board session was in January. And then we really picked this up in earnest in probably the May timeframe. So we were in somewhat in parallel in those first months with the purpose statement development. So that first January meeting, we always do a strategic session with our board in January. So we used that time and then sort of took a step back, focused on the purpose and picked it back up again mid-year. The strategic planning process, again, we had a, I'll call it a steering committee, but it was about 20 people. So it was fairly large group of folks. And again, we really made an effort to have all levels represented, all aspects and areas of what we do, and all geographies represented, really tried to get broad representation so that we would have different perspectives as we got into this process. And it was a series initially of facilitated meetings, lots of breakouts. Again, this was during COVID, so it was all virtual, which, you know, actually worked out pretty well in some respects, because it's hard to get that many people together (laughs) in work groups for a whole meeting series. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, blessing and a curse, but we did a lot of breakout groups and work that way. But again, the process was facilitated and really set up by an external consultant who helped us to be efficient and effective with our time. Again, I think it could have gotten a little bit unruly otherwise, but we started through again, looking at trends and forces, Once we kind of got into that short list with the group, we then broke them out into strategy teams. So we took the 20 people and, you know, one subgroup was assigned one of the negative futures, one was assigned a positive future, for example, and they brainstormed a timeline based on the trends and forces. So they came up with some triggering event, for example, and then wrote out a timeline of what they thought could be a possible future. And the consultant we were working with had a professional writer then turn those into essentially short stories. And then once we had the short stories, we switched. So one team may have done that negative future. Another team was then tasked with looking at, well, what steps should we take? So there was a fresh perspective. So there was some commonality when people were looking at what would we do, but different words being used because one group might use one way of describing an action we would take, whereas another group used different words So that was another area that the consultant was really helpful in finding those common themes. We call them crossover levers and using consistent language and developing that into a short list and then prioritize those short lists based on which we thought had the greatest impact and which we were most ready for versus least ready for. And so it sounds like that all kind of came together towards the end of 21. Is that right? That's right. So you're a year into what you came up with. Which way has it been going? (laughs) It's been going great, actually. We would have loved to come up with really three areas to focus on, but as is very much our style, we came up with five. Actually, I have to give you credit. A lot of people come up with eight or 12. (laughs) We have a lot of engineers and scientists, and we don't like to even stick to whole numbers. So to get to five, we were pretty happy with But really, we have a set of areas we want to focus on externally and a set of focuses, uh, areas that we're going to focus on internally. And everybody understands them. That, I think, was one of the real benefits of the process is enough people in the organization were taking on this journey. So by the time we came up with the things that we think we should be doing, people were completely on board and it made sense. And some of it just started happening on its own because the focus was so clear. Anyway, in terms of thinking about how to implement it, I think the next step for us, which I maybe had not anticipated, 
as we got into implementation was how to really institutionalize it. So again, the strategy did flow from the purpose. The purpose is something inherent in everything we do. We have a strong mission and we we use that in decision-making. So I guess I had anticipated that it would be more straightforward to embed the strategy in the things we do, as opposed to having the strategy be this extra set of things that we do. I think really for it to be effective, it has to be embedded in, in everyday decision-making at every level and for every individual in the organization. So we spent 2022 really thinking about implementation steps. And through that process, it became clear that there were structural changes to the organization that would help us to actually operate in a way that was going to set us up better um, to be able to move consistent with our strategy towards our purpose. So we did make progress in 2022, but I think the greatest progress that we made was identifying those areas where we should be reorganizing and we should be planning in a different way than we have been in the past and how we could use existing you know, processes and forums in a different way to further the strategy as opposed to adding that to a list of other to-do items. So by the end of 2022, everyone in the organization it became shorthand, strategy one, strategy five. So our five things, everybody knew kind of what they were just by the number. So we really did do a good job of communicating how we got there, what they were, why they were important. And we went through a whole process where every single person met with their manager in this structured meeting series to understand what they meant and to come up with ideas around how the work they did every day would further those strategies. And ultimately in goal setting, to have at least one of their goals for the next year be linked in our systems, linked to furthering one of the strategies. So trying to make that connection for every single person. And then in our business planning, to make sure that everything that we were actually doing was furthering the the strategy as well. So, you know, we have, again, it's not uncommon in an organization like ours to have what we call practices, which are, you know, groups that are furthering technology transfer and innovation and all of these great things. But now making sure that those are also directly tied towards furthering our strategies as well and showing those clear connections. And then um, now in 2023, we're going to be going through a reorganization in pockets to allow us to further our strategy in a way that we really couldn't without some changes to our structure. And it's taken you, it sort of sounds like 18 months or so to get to where you are now. How long do you think this, you know, this strategy is going to be relevant? We developed it as a five-year plan. Mm-hmm. Um, I would expect we'll update it in a couple of years. So I don't, I don't think it's going to be a five-year plan. Um, I, the changes that we're trying to make um, to the organization are intended to further whatever strategy it is. So if we decide in two years, well, we are kind of focused on this area. Mm -hmm. Those trends and forces aren't materializing quite like we thought. Maybe we want to focus in this other area to have a structure set up where we can pivot like that so that it's flexible. So my expectation is that it would be great if it's still relevant in five years, but I don't want to wait five years to figure that out. Sure. And there is just so much changing around us that I think that's the important thing is figuring out how you can um, be structured to be resilient 
and do the best you can at planning for change that you see coming, that you anticipate having an impact, but making sure that we're watching that and keeping track of it and being flexible and having a structure that's flexible to accommodate change. So that again, the strategy, even as it evolves, is part of the institutional framework and how we make decisions. And so it's just the guardrails that are changing a little bit as opposed to the entire organization or the structure every time. Mm. Um, As you've been on that journey over the last 18 months or so, what surprised you most about that process you've been through? I think the alignment was really surprising in both the purpose as well as the strategy. So just hearing from our people, there's just so much consistency when we're asking people about what they think our purpose is, you know, what they're proud of that the organization does from all different parts of the organization, a lot of alignment, really similar feedback, the companies that people admire. That was one of the questions and we got kind of a short list, you know, it was pretty consistent. I think that was reaffirming that the purpose was there and it was really just articulating it. Had we had feedback that was much more divergent, I think we would have had to figure out (laughs) whether this assumption that the purpose was there, whether that was accurate. And even as we were developing the strategic plan, one thing that was kind of funny, I think at least two of the teams had brainstormed the same triggering event. So we had to actually go back and say, okay, well, let's think about something else that could happen because we've actually already got this one over here. And so it was pretty interesting because we were very deliberate about, you know, trying to reach different pockets of the organization. And again, so that made me a little bit worried about whether there is going to be a major cyber attack that's going to put us on this different trajectory. Was that the triggering event they both came up with? Yes. Yeah. And it was not in our organization. It was like a government cyber attack. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty interesting that two of our teams came up with that same event and kept me up at night for a little bit. So that was surprising. And then I, again, I think I was a little bit naive maybe in thinking about how we would really cascade this down into everything we were doing and, and didn't anticipate as we got into it, really seeing that, okay, we need some structural change to be able to be resilient and adaptable to move our strategy forward in the future. You said this started with your board. Did it kind of come back through the board at some point for them to say, yeah, that's great? Or how did all that work? It did. Um, So it started with the board in January, and then the board adopted the plan in December. They had really good input, especially towards the end and kind of tying it all together and how we put together one document that really encapsulates different aspects of the business beyond the strategies. And it was a different process than we've done in the past. So I give our board a lot of credit for being supportive and you know willing to embark on something that was a bit different than what they've done in the past. Yeah. And what was the most difficult part of it for you? I think the most difficult part for me personally was I really felt that not just the purpose, but the strategy came from the organization. It wasn't mine. The way we developed it, it was the organization's strategy. And then there was that board approval step. So I got to a point with the board where it was really hard for me to accept changes to it because I felt it wasn't really mine to change. Um, so that was that was difficult, and I think it was difficult for the board too, frankly. Um, and we got to a good place, but I did feel like we had developed this great work. You know, there were 
20, 30 people across the organization that had put a lot of time, a lot of thought and a lot of work into it. And it really just didn't feel like it was mine to change at that point. Yeah, no, I could see how that might create some tensions. Um, what's the impact been on your leadership team? Are they any different having gone through it? Yeah, I think it's been a positive experience. We are really focused on trying to align the organization. The way that the organization has grown up started in Maine, Portland, Maine is where we're based and grew up over 40 years to now be 1200 people doing all of these different things across the country. And so that shared purpose and that shared strategy is so important for us to really be able to move things forward. And I think through the process of thinking about global trends and forces, it became really abundantly clear to everybody the importance of focusing and the importance of really coming together and moving the needle on a small number of things as opposed to being really diversified in what we're what we're pursuing. So I think that has really helped us as a leadership team to appreciate the importance of saying no to things which we don't like to do. But in order to move the important things forward, we have to not do some of the less important. Not to say it's not everything's important, right? But there are the things that are critically important and the things that we just can't do because they're not critically important. So I think that's been a positive outcome for the leadership team is having that shared understanding of, well, we can't do this because we agree we really need to do that. Mm -hmm. What have you learned along the way? What's the impact been on you personally? I think it's reinforced to me the importance of leading a purpose-driven life as an individual as well. And I've always felt that was important, but I think this just reinforced it, especially the timing of going through all of this with COVID and, you know, just pretty broad burnout among not just our staff or among society, the importance of purpose in combating burnout. So you can get up every morning and know why you're going to go do the things that you're going to do that day, even some things that you don't necessarily want to do. If you understand the purpose and what you're driving for and you really believe in that, it makes it easier to, I think, combat burnout and some of the, the doldrums that are, especially with the pandemic when everything was shut down. So we were really trying to provide that for our people. But it also reinforced for me the importance of having an individual purpose and knowing what your purpose is in your life in this world and making sure that aligns with what you're doing at work every day. Yeah, and I think it's great. Um, if you had any advice for a business leader who's themselves wrestling with their organization's purpose and how you connect it with the strategy, what would that advice be? Well, I think... If you have a purpose, you really need to use that in your strategy and you really need to figure out how you can use your purpose in decision making every day. And if you don't have a purpose that's articulated, the advice I would give to somebody is, is you need one. And that's either already exists and you can go through a process of figuring out what it is. And if you don't have one, I think you still need one. And it's probably a little bit harder because you may develop a purpose that not everybody agrees with. And that's okay. Because you will be stronger and you will attract the people who agree and are on board with the purpose. So while there's risk there, the reward is greater. But, you know, kind of being eyes wide open that it's, it's important. And if it's there, 
great. That's a wonderful position to be in. But if it's not, it doesn't mean you don't need one. You still need one and you just need to be prepared for bringing people along who agree with it and finding others who do because you will attract people that agree with your purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And you talked about the importance of kind of your own personal purpose. If you could articulate that and talk about how it lines up, how would you describe it? Yeah, I don't have good words for it because I'm not a marketing person and I don't have an individual marketing department. But my own personal purpose is related to affecting positive change on people in the environment and leaving the world ultimately a healthier, safer, and hopefully more inclusive place than I came into it. And I think it's it's, it's evolved over time. But you know, when I was considering whether I was interested in the CEO role at Woodard and Curran, that was something that I took into account. You know, what is important to me? What do I want to do with my life? And is this going to further that or not? So I do think that having an idea of what your own individual purpose is, is important as it relates to your career, because you spend a lot of time working. And I don't think it has to be narrow. I mean, I think there are ways to do some of the things I just said in a waitressing job. And there are ways to do some of the things I just said as a cashier. And you don't have to be a CEO of a firm. But if you understand what you're put on this earth to do, or life purpose be, you can look for ways in whatever career it is, or whatever job it is to do that. And just being able to make those connections will hopefully make everything you're doing a little bit more meaningful and rewarding. And hopefully that'll provide some happiness as well. Very good. It's probably a great note to end on. Alison, thank you so much for joining us. I love some of the things you had to say there, particularly about if you don't have a purpose, you still need one. (laughs) Completely agree with that. I love this topic. So I was really glad to be asked to talk about it and to think back because it was a really fun process at the end of the day, you know, especially the strategic plan. It was very creative and it's, you know, a little scary to think about cyber attacks, but it's also a lot of fun to think about what could be, what might be. There is no right answer. So you don't have to have the right answer. Um, You just need to be able to unshackle yourself a little bit from what you know is today. Thanks for joining us. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.